Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. Um, there's, there's, good morning, everyone, first and foremost. Um, there's quite a few things I want to touch on today. There, there is a main message, as it were. Um, apologies for those who are expecting a PowerPoint. Um, even though it's half term, I didn't. I didn't do it. Um, I just. I just didn't open up my work laptop. <laughs> um, but before I get into today's uh, message. I wanted to touch on what's happening around the globe, just in case y'all were unaware. Um, does, does anyone know about what's happening in the American Christian colleges at the moment? Okay, we are very familiar. Well done. Good. Good. On Wednesday the 8th, I believe it was, um, around about 10 o'clock local time in Kentucky, um, a group of students went for their usual chapel meeting at Asbury University. Okay, Asbury University is a private Christian college where 50 years ago, 1970-ish, um, there was an outpouring that took place there. That was Wednesday the 8th at 10 a.m. The prayer meeting hasn't stopped. Okay, so we are now into our, what, 10th day? They've had 10 days straight of just an outpouring. It is characterized by a holy hush, you know, like the one we've experienced a few times. We had one today. It's characterized by um, student-led worship. It's characterized by a lack of personality in the pulpit. Things that the Lord has been crying out for for years, that finally we've decided that we may actually catch up with him and give him what he wants. It's an incredible move that's that's taking place. Lines are going like if you if you arrive there, you gotta wait about seven hours to get in. Okay. Yet people are waiting seven hours, eight hours, nine hours. They are willing to wait to walk in and experience. They've had to set up multiple overflow rooms. Okay. It's now hit twenty-four campuses across the country. There are twenty-four Christian colleges universities that are reporting outpourings and this revival. Now, why do I share that? I share that because it is important for us to be aware of what God is doing on a macro, especially as we navigate what he's doing on a micro. What he's doing here, the things he has done since November 27th, when we decided that we were going to embrace the uncommon, those moments of encounter and glory that we've experienced in worship are all indicative and symbolic of what's taking place over there. Okay? I literally read every article I've read, I'm like, oh, we had that. Oh, we had that. Oh, that happened with us. So that made me hungry. So I'm like, okay, cool. One, we're on the right track. And two, Lord, why don't you do it here? People are flying from across the globe. At Asbury, they've had people from Indonesia, from Brazil, just all coming in to sit in and enjoy. And they've had 
young and old. Remember, we spoke about multi-generational consciousness. How worship should be, and any worship experience, and I've said this to the worship team for years, any worship experience should be able to connect with both young and old. If it only reaches a certain demographic, then you haven't done your job. Because any description you see of Christ in the scripture, he had all generations flocking to him. Okay, indeed, it was the youngest amongst them who actually perceived him the best. That's a whole other sermon for another time. And so we're in this unique position where we're seeing things, because even in our worship services, the youth are being touched. Direct encounters with Christ himself. So we've seen these things starting to pop up and break out here, and we will continue to see it, if not more. Do not be fixated on the fact that we don't have, we're not calling services every day for the next seven days. It doesn't matter. Whichever way he decides to do it here, he will do it. I just know there is a synergy between overseas and here. So again, it starts this hunger. What I love, I love seeing the likes of a Lou Engel, um, the great um, prayer warrior and revivalist, just sitting at Asbury with his phone, just filming and then putting his phone away. No one calls him up to pray. He doesn't ask to pray. And those famous worship leaders who have sent in their requests, hey, do you want me to come? I can you know, help with the worship, have been told no. We good. The kids have got it. But even as the kids have got it in their worship and in their exuberance, there is a healthy respect for those who were praying for 20, 30 years. And many of those are the ones that are faculty leaders. They're the ones who are teaching. You know, they're coming and doing, you know, whether it's like an offering or whatever. And they're leading um, the masses in prayers of repentance and whatnot. So how do I find out more about this? Quick Google search. You can find out as much as you want. It was reported on Fox News, CBN, uh, TBN. Um, God TV, we're running a special on it as well. As you can imagine, the mainstream is now waking up to what is happening. And I have written something about it that I'll share in a moment. But even as this is happening, it's important for us just to have a look and say, all right, Lord, I see what you're doing there. And you're no respect to a person's. So again, this hunger. So funny enough, yesterday I was making pancakes, right, in the morning. And as I was making the pancakes, the Lord said to me, I want you to write this down. So it was like mid-pancake, so I was like, okay, Jesus, how are we going to do this? Because, so in my usual fashion, I was like, oh, Lord, I'll just remember it. He was like, no, 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 stop, write it down. So this is what I wrote. So regarding this, this, this moment that we're in as the body of Christ. So as we scour the earth, we can see that there is both great pain and great praise being released. The tension between light and dark is increasingly being felt by all through the usual avenues of media and conversation. We remain confident in the overwhelming superiority of the light to engage, combat and defeat any plan of the kingdom of darkness. And as such, it is not unfair for us to fill our eye and ear gate with the tales of testimony as our God moves. The young men will see visions. Isn't that what was said? So we are seeing 
a generation pour out their love and adoration on Jesus across the globe. We already had heard whisper of the secret youth-led churches of China and the droves of ex-Muslims coming to Christ, but now we are seeing an explosion of faith and fire in the West. What's happening at Asbury University is merely the start. What's happening at Lee University is merely the start. What's happening in Mobile, Alabama is merely the start. Indeed, since November 27th, we have experienced multiple deluges of glory here at CCF, to which we say yes. Finally, a moment has arrived where the popularity contest we once called ministry has been abandoned and only Christ is worthy of our attention. The pulpit has been given over to a passionate pursuit of his presence and we must do everything to ensure we do not let our human hands smudge the golden crown being gifted to this generation. So it is for us to grow excited, it is for us to grow obsessed. This is our time to arise and shine. This is our time to stake our claim to inherit the manifestation of all that God promised. The Garden Revival is here. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in and amongst us. We thank you that you are no respect to a person, and indeed, Lord, we say, yes, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And we invite you, Lord, to manifest yourself in whichever way you see, please. Whichever single way you desire, we will refuse the invitation to get involved and put our own frameworks around it and try to predict and try to promote our own agendas in and amongst your move. But rather, Father, cause us to go low. Cause us to go even lower. And that's the songwriter once said, break our hearts, Father, with the things that break yours. Cause the, the, the song of mercy, the song of redemption, the song of grace to be prominent within our throats. That, that which we sing be the song that heaven sings. So Father, we open ourselves up to be inspired by you, to the songwriters in the building. Father, anoint their pens that they may sing truth and nothing else. For if anything, this generation right now is seeking truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, if you do want to, like I said, if you do want to find out some more, you can obviously search on Google. If you have a child who is addicted to social media, TikTok and the such like, give them something to search. It's all over. That's how we're finding out this stuff. It's all through social media. So you know that thing that everyone said was of the devil? Oh, well. (laughs) That just messed with your theology. But no, it's, it's good to see how, you know, literally I'm, I'm finding all this stuff out by TikTok. I'm just watching video after video, account after account, testimony after testimony. Just scroll, just scroll. And you know what the great thing about the algorithm is? It just sends you more and sends you more and sends you more. Let the work, let the tech do the work. Okay, it is 101. So I'm going to get into it because you know me, um, my usual style would be to finish at three. So... I'm going to do my best not to do that. Um, But hey, I did pray for Jesus to do what he wants. The sermon title today, um, it changed four or five times in the past few weeks. This is actually an incredible experience finding this 
sermon amongst all my notes, <clears throat> mainly because I'd, I'd kind of had some ideas and I thought it was going to start somewhere. I wrote it all out. I was here in church two weeks ago. I wrote it all out, the whole intro, and then deleted it two days later. It was like, God was like, nope, that's not where I want you to start. Okay. And it was a great experience for me to chase him through the Bible and to find where he wanted us to land. So the sermon title, as it currently stands, is Beloved, Behold, Become. Beloved, Behold, Become. Now, there's quite a few scriptures, um, but first, before I get into that, I just want to share two stories. Um, yeah, two stories. So, when was when was the Davis tent in the round? Okay, so that's what twenty one. Okay, so two thousand nineteen Davis tent, right? <clears throat> so the last one before the pandemic. I'm at the side of the stage. And I'm in this moment with God. And the worship's going, and it's incredible. And I'm like, yes, Jesus. And then I became overwhelmed with a sense of guilt and shame. And I was like, Lord, why do you bother? Like, why me? You know? I had this moment where I was just thinking about the things that he's asked me to do. I'd, I think I'd already done a few sets on stage. They'd gone well. You know, testimonies were coming in. People were talking to me, talking about me, all those kind of things. And in those moments, my instant reaction is to regress. It's like, uh, this is getting uncomfortable. I'm going to go hide. So I'm hiding inside the stage. So I'm like, Lord, oh, this is uncomfortable. Because instantly I want to tell you about all my failures. I instantly want to list my flaws, of which there are many. I know you look at me and you think, hey, you got it all together. Nice silver chain, nice trainers. <laughs> but seriously, there are flaws. Okay? And I was in this position where I'm listing, I'm going through all of them. And I'm sure it must have bored him. And he says, stop there. He said, let me show you something. Close your eyes. Okay. So my question is, why? Why me? Why? So close your eyes. So I close my eyes. And I lifted my hands. And I literally saw like a curtain, you know, like a, the um, beginning of a show. Curtain. And I was taken to Calvary. What did I see? Did I see an empty cross? No. I saw a man on the cross. I saw Christ on the cross. And what I saw horrified me at the same time as gave me hope. I've tried a few times to describe what I saw. And each time is trickier than the last. I can't, if I'm honest, I can't really describe the lacerations over his body, the pus, the, the blood, the quite obvious horrific pain that my saviour was in. It was so, I remember shrinking back, I went, because he didn't even look like a human being, it just looked like a lump of flesh. 
And that's what the Lord permitted me to see, let alone what it really was like. I said, Lord, why do you pick me? And the first thing he showed me, he said, the cross. That's why. This is what makes it worth it, son. As you can imagine, I started to cry. <laughs> oh, I started crying my eyes out. I started like sobbing like a baby. Like a child. A child who, for, for in that moment, their faith was restored. Now that question hasn't posed itself again. And when I feel the shadow of that question, I always remember. And even in worship, there'll be times in worship I'll just be playing and I find myself idling along without a sense of direction or purpose. And I allow my mind to go back to what I saw on that day. It's a tough thing to see, but the Lord allowed me to see it for that purpose, to reinvigorate and to show me the reason why and the measure of the love he has towards me. Two years previously, I had <coughs> um, finished writing uh, you know, my book that I've mentioned multiple times. I've got copies here. If anyone doesn't have a copy, please just come and get one. They're no longer for sale. Just take one if you want to sew, please sew. It's all good. Now this, this little but powerful thing right here, Diary of the Man He Calls Son, was a story of 50 weeks of encounter from December 23rd, 2017 <clears throat> to the following December. And that last encounter, which I've named Day 31, um, was leaving Calais Street, leaving Pastor Rod's house. And as I left, I was just walking to the gate. God just visited me in the street. I started crying, laughing. I, I must have looked like a madman. But anyway, it was all good. And what these 50 weeks were doing was restoring and refining my idea of what it means to be loved by God. The name David, Dahavid, means loved by God. It's the perfect name in all of the world, if you ask me. I didn't always say that, but it is. <laughs> you agree. Brother, listen. If only more knew the revelation therein. So it took 50 weeks for him to expand this message which started off in the first instance with him saying, enjoy my pursuit. Enjoy how much I chase you down. Investigate it, study it, look into it, sing it, meditate on it. I went three months not being able to sing songs about my love for him. I'd be in church and whoever was leading would sing a song, you know, I love you, Jesus, I worship and adore you. And I couldn't sing the song because it felt where I was with this revelation that he was expounding for me, it was so tender how much he loved me that for me to sing of my love to him, there was no comparison. And so I struggled for three, four months. But over those 50 weeks, he was able to bring me to a place of absolute conviction. Absolute conviction. You cannot convince me otherwise, he loves me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the apple of his eye. And in the different, in the years since, and I, you know, I've re referred to it as a rebirth, 
the one thing the Lord said to me, he said, don't call this a season. When I was going through this, he said, don't call it a season. I said, why not? He said, if you call it a season, it implies that it's going to come to an end. So I said, don't do that. So I haven't from then till now. And I am living out the reality of what took place. 364 days after day one, after the 23rd. So now the next year, 22nd of December, I had another encounter. And to be honest, not all the encounters are in here. I had, I, at one point, I was having one every day. I, was, I went to Bethlehem. I went to um, Exodus 33. I was able to walk through the tabernacle. I saw different things, and the Lord was good. The Lord was gracious. I had another encounter. I'm lying on my bed. Um, <clears throat> I thought I was there because I was feeling a bit ill, so I just went to lie down. The Lord used that moment to get my attention. And as I was lying there, Holy Spirit began to visit me. And I'm lying there. And all of a sudden I feel this. He said, I need you to contend for my power. Now that you know that you're loved, the next stage is, can you now walk in my power? Because he won't allow anyone to walk in his power who doesn't have a healthy understanding of love. Because if you have power without love, you have abuse. So a whole year later, I'm lying there, right? And I said, okay. I said, yes. And it was like I put my hands into electric charged gloves. All of a sudden, whew, they started to burn. And I, and I remember saying to myself, okay, Lord, this hurts. <laughs> but I, I think I can take some more. So I went from my hand to right here. Okay, Lord, I can take some more. Went up to my elbow. So I'm lying there, both elbow hands just. Okay, Lord, I think I'm gonna take some more. And it got up to about halfway up my bicep. And then it was too much. I said, okay, Lord, I can't. And it stopped. What was he showing me? He was showing me how he was going to arm his lovers with his power. What we have seen here at church over the past few weeks is a church which has been doused in a revelation of love begin to walk in his power. That's why we start calling out deliverance. Because the power of God is here. The hiding place of his presence, what does it say? Um, the power of God is in the hiding place of his presence. It's in Habakkuk 2, I think. It's in Habakkuk 3. So it's for us to understand that. That's why Maria last, was it last week, when we started calling out, you know, okay, healing. Bad back. And the Lord visit her. Because he is love. So a healthy revelation of the love of God begins to shape your life. There's four scriptures, four passages of scripture I want to touch on. I'm going to read all four first, and then we're going to go, you know, deep, just kind of unpick some of them. So the first one is John 19, 25 to 27. John 19, 25, 27. And is it, you know, you've probably read this multiple times in different Gospels. And it says here, verse 25, it says, But by the cross of Jesus stood his mother, 
His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas or Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus seeing his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing near said to his mother, Dear woman, see here, this is your son. Then he said to the, to the disciple, See, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own keeping, own home. Let's go to the next chapter, John 20, 2 to 8. John 20, verse 2 to 8. So she, she being Mary, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus tenderly loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Upon this, Peter and the other disciple came out and went toward the tomb, and they came running together, but the other disciple, okay, do you remember who the disciple was? No, it didn't say that, did it? It didn't say John. I didn't read the name John. The other disciple is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Refer to him by his name, please. The other disciple whom Jesus loved came out and he went running toward the tomb. And they came running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. Please remember that. And stooping down, this disciple who arrived first, stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not enter. Then Simon Peter came up following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. But the burial napkin, kerchief which had been around Jesus' head, was not lying with the other linen cloths, but was still rolled up, wrapped round and round in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in too, and he saw and was convinced and believed. Okay, so the other disciple who reached there first, who got to the tomb first, went in, he saw, he was convinced, and believed. Can we go to John 21, 4 to 7? This is the next chapter. Morning was already breaking when Jesus came to the beach and stood there. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Boys, children, you do not have any meat, fish, do you? Have you caught anything to eat along with your bread? They answered him, No. Verse 6, And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast the net and now they were not able to haul it in for such, for such a big catch. Mass quantity of fish was in it. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Simon Peter, hearing him say that it was the Lord, put, girded on his upper garment, his fisherman's coat, uh, coat, his outer tunic, for he was stripped for work and sprang into the sea. That's verse 7. The last scripture we're going to touch on, Revelation 1, 12 to 18. One, 
Revelation 1, 12 to 18. Then I turned to see who was the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a robe which reached to his feet and a girdle of gold about his breast. His head and his hair were white like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes flashed like a flame of fire. His feet glowed like burnished bright bronze as it is refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth there came forth a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full power at midday. When I saw him I fell at his feet as if dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the ever-living one. I am living in the eternity of eternities. I died, but see, I am alive forevermore. And I possess the keys of death and Hades, the realm of the dead. Four scriptures, one from Calvary, one from the empty tomb, one from the beach, once Jesus has been resurrected, and one a vision, a revelation of Christ in heaven. There's one individual who's in four stories, in all those stories, apart from Jesus. Who? Thank you very much. I never called his name. Sorry, I did call his name. We instantly translate disciple that Jesus loved. We see that and we go, oh, that's John. But if Holy Spirit didn't want you to know it was John... Or indeed, one better wanted to realize, wanted you to realize that John's identity was wrapped up in the love of God. That the thing that he, even he himself, when writing about his own self. Now, if you were the one who laid your head upon Jesus' breast, if you were the one that Jesus loved, would you not put your own signature on your own letter? Would you not want to, um, at every opportunity, let people know, yo, it was me that got to the tomb first? You know what? All the others... They ran away when he was crucified. It was me, John. I was the one standing there. That would be the temptation, wouldn't it? Let's be real. Okay, I'm going to speak for myself because you guys are very sanctified. <laughs> if I was one of, if I was John, my name would be on every single piece of pamphlet. I'll be doing autographs. Hey, yeah, I'm the guy. The one that Jesus loved. But no, we're not told it's John. There's a significance there. Because now you can insert anyone into the story. Don't call me by my name. Call me beloved. That's what John, that's how John lived his life. Don't don't call me John. Whatever John means, don't, don't call me John. Describe me, tell my story for the rest of eternity based on my revelation and my receipt of the love of God. When you talk about me, everything you say about me has to go back to this point. I'm loved by God. Let it not be that you want to talk about my physical attributes. I was tall, I was short, I was, I was overweight, underweight, malnourished, whatever. I had whatever. Red hair, dark hair. None of that matters. We hear that about other people in the Bible. We have physical descriptions and we can probably paint this and paint that. The only thing we know about John, 
apart from his family relations, is that he was loved. So when you tell my story, when you tell the story of this church, you don't need to go into too much detail. The, one, the most important thing for us that you know is that we're loved by God. And we spend every Sunday, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, y'all know the song, <laughs> every single day, obsessed with this one thing, Come on. that I am loved by God. When you tell the story of what happened here, what broke out with those worshippers at Commonwealth, when they tell the story 50 years from now, because they will tell the story 50 years from now, because what the Lord is doing in this place is not something just for a brief moment. I hope you understand that. Because one thing I've learned about the eternal God, when he puts his eternal hands into a temporary situation, it now goes from temporary to eternal. So whatever he does here has to be eternal. So we have to see it in that way. That's why we don't get involved, because we can't, we can't craft eternal unless we're working with him. Another sermon for another day. So he's moving amongst us and the one thing that I want them to say about us, they knew about the love. They just, how did it start? How did it break out? Tell us. Um, we just know that we're loved by God. I watched a, an interview with uh, the campus leader from Asbury University and she very... Um, beautifully articulated you know and this is on fox news you had every opportunity to water down what you're about to say and they said to you know i think it was tucker carlson or whoever it is and it's like so, so so explain how did it start well we're passionate about the love of god <laughs> that that's it that's the starting point we are passionate about the love of god that's where we start So it's clear from the biblical narrative around John, if we were going to use his name, the name his mother gave him, that his acceptance of the love of God defined him, but also it gave him a unique clarity of vision. Love, so looking at John 19, remember we read John 19, says that Jesus is on the cross and he sees the disciple whom he loves standing in front of him. Love qualified John to withstand the horrors of the crucifixion. Love qualified John to withstand the horrors of the crucifixion. Imagine a man you'd walked with for three and a half years. You'd seen him heal the sick. You'd seen him raise the dead. You'd seen him, there's, there's, um, I don't know if I've ever preached it yet. There's a sermon I've been working on, the four, um, Jesus' four encounters with death throughout his ministry. There's four accounts of when Jesus encountered death. Okay, you have, um, obviously Lazarus is one of them. The guy had been dead for four days. The boy at the gates of Nain, he'd only been dead for a few hours. And then also Jairus' daughter, who'd been dead for a few minutes. Okay? At each time, it looked even more impossible. And the fourth one is he himself. Then he proves how much he conquers death. Okay? That's the whole sermon. <laughs> so, you'd seen these things. You'd seen at every opportunity where death presented itself, he'd been able to conquer. Then you hear him talk about 
his own death. A little bit confusing. Be raised up on the third day. Don't understand the mechanics, but okay. It's interesting because zeal wasn't enough. Zeal wasn't enough. So I tell you why? Peter had zeal. And he ended up in hiding. Peter had zeal. His zeal initially blinded him to the purposes of God. Matthew 16 tells us this. Okay? It's, it's an incredible narrative. Matthew 16 tells us of how Peter affirmed Jesus as the Christ. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, son of the living God. What does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Incredible moment. Upon this gate, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Incredible moment. The very next story we see. Sorry, there's an interim verse. Jesus, it says that. And Jesus began to tell them about his impending death, burial, and resurrection. It was only after they realised and the revelation had been revealed to them that he was the son of God, the living Christ himself, the Messiah. That's when he then had the permission to start telling them about how this thing would pan out. And then it says that Peter, who had that revelation two verses earlier, now says he took Jesus to one side and rebuked him. Oh, the cheek of the man. But Zeal will have you do that. Zeal would have you look at a revival and say, I'm not sure that's Jesus. Jesus, I'm not, no, I'm not sure we should have that happening. They're rolling around on the floor. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, it's, it's too much noise. Or it's too quiet. Because you're so passionate about things being done right and we want to honour you, Lord. And zeal has you go headlong into conversations, into debates, into actions that actually move you away from the will of God. John Bevere preached a message years ago. Good is not always God. I think he's even got a book about it. Okay. What you may see as good is not always God. Right? And I know this. I've experienced it myself in, in worship. You know, that's a good this is a good moment we're in and God's like I'm not here move on okay oh what about this song oh this this is a song I remember there was um, just last last year tail end of last year Denise and I were on and um, we had I think three songs on our set list and we started the, f- the first song I don't think we did the first song we started singing a song and halfway through I looked to her and said I don't think we're going on to the next one I'd done the track, we'd prepared, it was a new arrangement, I was excited to share it with you guys, and still now it hasn't been done. You wouldn't even know the song if I told you, because we haven't done it. And I was ready, we were ready, plans have been laid. And then God's like, "Uh uh-uh, this way. Now, I could, in my position as worship pastor turn around and say thus saith the Lord I heard him on Saturday night we are doing this song but what about Sunday at 11.32 what about when Cynthia comes in with a different song and he says that's me will you have the sensitivity of spirit and the humility of spirit to say let me get low let me get rid of my agenda and get rid of my ideas 
and only chase the wind. The most skilled sailors are the ones who learn how to chase the wind. And they chase it, and then they learn to harness it. And when they harness it, they go further than you can go in human, in human endeavour. That's what we're learning to do in our worship. Chase the wind. What songs shall we do? What this? What keys? That's all great. The most important thing is what's Holy Spirit there. And love qualifies us. So John is in this position. John and Peter, they're both there, right? There was nothing that Jesus did that John was unaware of because John was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So even at his moment, as his, you know, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, yes, they all fell asleep. John fell asleep. Even the one disciple that Jesus loved, he fell asleep. But Zeal, Peter, turned around and cut off a man's ear and had to be told by Jesus, dude, we don't do that around here. We don't do them things. That's not my style. He had to say, he had to be put in his place. I get it, Peter. I understand. But not now. Come on. Live by the sword. Die by the sword. Put it away. Put it away. Zeal gets all the way to seeing Jesus being arrested, seeing him being questioned. And when confronted by the opinion of man, Zeal shrinks and is ashamed to say, I'm one of them. Because Zeal has an end point. Zeal goes so far, he's been arrested. Oh, I'm still here. Judas ran off. You know there was two Judases, right? Matthew's run off. This one's run off. The women have run off. The masses have run off. Zeal's like, yeah, I'm here. In, in, in the, you know, I'm, I'm here in the high priest's house. John's there as well. Okay? If we read one, then I can't remember which gospel it talks about. John was also there. But Peter stops at the fire, interestingly. And Zeal says, this far, no further. Love says, I'll follow you even to the end. So the disciple whom Jesus loved found himself in a position that I believe he was so obsessed that he said, just one more look. Every time he wanted to turn away, just one more look. Every time, as he was standing there at Calvary, this is tough, but I have to see him again. This is tough, but I just have to see him. I can't leave him. Not like this. I don't understand what's happening. But but he knows. He said he said he was gonna die. He said he said it was gonna When is the three days? Does he mean three of our days? Does he mean three of God's days? Does he mean those Genesis one days? He's rattling all these things in his head. And I guarantee you this, as a human being, he was ready to turn away, walk back down the hill and say, okay, well, he's about to die. But he stuck around. And love qualified him and equipped him to withstand the horrors of crucifixion and also the confusion of crucifixion. That the one who loves you and the one that you love seemingly at the end of his life then we move to John 20 and we see this empty tomb Mary comes back and says yo guys 
Jesus has been resurrected. His body's not there. And two of them set off. We have two characters in this race, two individuals sprinting from Jerusalem to the tomb. We have zeal and we have love. And love gets there first. If it wasn't important, it wouldn't be in the book. The disciple whom Jesus loved, again, we still don't have his name. It doesn't say his name, it says the disciple whom he loved, the other disciple, him, he got there first. He didn't walk in first. Peter walked in first. Peter actually was you know, the first to give his, you know, we are not drunk. And, and the first, Peter had many moments in, in history, and zeal does that. Zeal gives you many moments in history. But there was something about the one who identified as beloved that he was able to behold. Remember the sermon title, Beloved, Behold, Become. So having identified himself as the love, loved one who is loved, he's able to behold the crucifixion and not waver. And then it empowered him to see, be convinced and believe. That's what it says in the scripture. Um, John 20 verse 8 says that, and the other disciple who had arrived first saw, was convinced, and believed. Then we go to John 21. So Jesus now resurrected. They've had a few encounters with him. He's come, showed up, given Thomas a bit of a boost to his faith. And now in John 21, 4 to 7, and they're on the beach, okay? They're, they're out fishing. It's interesting, zeal had got so far and then in this quiet time, Zeal goes back to what it knows. Fishing. Hey, lads, I'm going back to the boat. You want to join me? So they're all there. Because Zeal assumes a position of leadership. Fine. It's cool. But even in that position of leadership in the boat, when Jesus calls them from afar, Zeal can't see who it is. One person is able to recognize the voice and visual of the saviour the disciple whom Jesus loved so it given him it qualified him to withstand the horrors of the crucifixion empowered him to be the first disciple to witness the empty tomb and it gave him the power of recognition to see his resurrected saviour even from afar the miracle happened and Peter and all the rest of them were like who's this? And love is able to say, that's the one. That's God. When things start happening, and they will start happening en masse, in, within the congregation, love is able to say, ah, oh, that's him. That's him. Even from afar. And I'm not talking about just physical distance. I'm talking about afar in terms of this is outside your theology. This is something you've never seen before. This is something you've never experienced before in church. This is a measure of glory you've never walked in. But love qualifies you to say, this is him. I know when he shows up. Case in point, last week, going back to Maria, I said to Elder Deji at the end, I said it was a strange one for me. Because I felt like I was hearing God say, healing, 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 healing. And my usual way of processing that moment is I wait for my hands to start, hands to start burning. 
okay? Since January 2011, I've waited for my hands to start burning. And every single time, they do. Until last week. So last week was the first time where I heard him say healing, but I didn't have the usual confirmation that I usually have. So what do you do? Because usually your hands start burning, but they didn't this time, but you can hear a prompting. So then you have the question, maybe this is just my pride. We're in this moment of worship and maybe it's just me just trying to force the issue. Healing, healing, healing. And then I remember, I started just resting in the love of God. And as I did that, I was like, oh, this is you. But my hands, okay, that doesn't even matter. Because even from afar, even outside of my experiences, I recognize my saviour. Even when he moves in a way I've never seen him move before. Ah, that's him. That's his voice. That's his hand. That's his cheek. That's his mouth. That must be him. So love and a revelation of the love of God and, and how much it impacts us gives us the power of recognition to recognize, to behold, even outside of my own theology even outside of my experience, even outside of what I've read in the book. I never saw in the book that you did this, but this is you, so I'm going to go with it. Okay, cool, trust. Zeal had run out of steam. Even after seeing the resurrected Christ, Zeal decided to return to that which was familiar. And when the Christ showed up, Zeal saw in part what love saw in full. We are not to be a church characterized by how busy we are. Please, let's not make the same mistake as generations of countless congregations have made before us, where as soon as the Lord starts moving, we then get really busy and cooking him a meal that he'd never requested. Well, even that story there of Mary and Martha, you know what the great thing about it is? Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and we elevate that in our theology. We say, she sat at the feet of Jesus. But do you know there's another place of intimacy? How about laying your head upon his chest? Which one's closer? To sit at his feet or to lay your head on his chest? Because even with sitting at his feet, when he shows up, I think it's John 11, she still had questions about him being able to resurrect. Yes, I know, but really? So I get it, and I understand why we, we talk about it, and we're like, you know, don't be Martha, be Mary. But both of them have their names in the book. But there's a man who is only known by the love he had received from Christ. And to him was given a deep, the deepest level of intimacy that he would lay his head upon the Saviour's breast. Which one do we want? That's the question. Do we want to be Martha, cooking a meal when Christ is not hungry? Do we want to be Mary, sitting at his feet, but still with questions? Or do we want to be John, who whatever happens, we're chasing him, we're with him, we recognise him, we hear his voice, we know exactly what he's saying. If that is the choice we are making, to be the John, to be the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
we have to be obsessed about the revelation of his love. The fourth scripture we read, Revelation 1. So now he's seen the crucified Christ. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Christ. But that wasn't it. Because his status as the disciple that Jesus loved now gave him the lens by which he could take in the glorified Christ. You see, the resurrected Christ is not the end of the story. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. You may have seen him just walk through a wall. That's great. You may have seen him cook a meal on the beach. That's great. But there was another, there's a resurrected, there's a glorified Christ whose face shines with the brightness of the midday sun. That's the Christ. Why is that important for us? Now I'm skipping my notes. Let me... (laughs) The disciple whom Jesus loved had discovered truth and believed it. And so must we. The church whom Jesus loves has discovered truth and we must be obsessed about believing it. Not letting anyone shake our conviction, shake our belief that we are loved by God. The beloved beholds. I would almost submit only the beloved beholds. Only those who know they are loved by God see him for who he is. That's why worshippers and the songwriters in the building, Debs, when she starts writing her songs, she's, to to be a word, how do I put it? What is the criteria for being part of the worship team? I hear you ask. Truth seeker, truth speaker. Can you be a truth seeker and a truth speaker? Because that's what the worship team does. Des will seek, seek out truth in scripture. It comes to life and then she speaks it through a song. Every, you know, and I'm saying this not just because she's my brother, um, she's my sister and, and what, I'm saying this because I as a truth seeker have often had her songs lead me to truth. And so I hear them, like, I never would have thought about that. It'll be a lyric, or even a chord choice, that just reveals another part of God. Where were you the first time you heard Yahweh? You experienced it yourself. Now, you probably have heard the name Yahweh multiple times. There's multiple songs with it. But when it was sung in that way, in that way, it just hits differently. Truth has been revealed in our midst. And so it's for us to believe it. Because when we believe it, we're then given clarity of vision. You want more of the prophetic? Dive into the love of God. It's not just about me standing in a mid-trance going, what are you saying, Lord? What are you saying? <laughs> we make things so funky and weird, us Christians. No, no, no. You find some of the most powerful and accurate prophets are the ones who have a significant revelation of what it means to be loved by God. 
And actually, the reason why many people stay away from the prophetic is because they've heard it without love. So even those tough ones that we hear, maybe today was a tough one during the offering. But you hear it with the voice of love behind saying, come up higher, Revelation 1. Come up higher. There's something I want to show you. There's something more I can show you in your finances if you would trust me. There's something more I can show you in your worship if you would trust me. There's something more I can show you um, at your workplace if you would trust me. Come up higher. Look up. See the glorified Christ. Not just the one that you've heard from the stories. See the one that can't be described. Come up higher. Come and see the ever-living one. It says here, you know, Jesus says, I am living in the eternity of the eternities. I mean, what does that even mean? Nobody knows, but it's for us to get involved in. You know, I've been saying this for the past few years. You know, I don't need to understand everything. That cow got sacrificed a long time ago. I actually don't need to understand everything. Even this, and I'll be honest, this, when I started writing this, I was like, okay, it's a little bit different, okay, I'm not sure, I don't understand, I don't understand, but I trust you, because something's there, something's there. Oftentimes, and this is a little nugget, oftentimes when I write these sermons, there's notes and whatever, do you know how I, it's not really rehearsing, how do I bring myself into the midst of the heart of God? I'll just be walking up and down my front room and I'll just preach a segment. Just preaching it out loud. Just preach a segment. And most of the stuff I say in those moments doesn't come out on the Sunday. But I'm allowing the Lord to take what's written, cause it to come alive and connect me to it so I know that everything that has been said, even if you've heard it now or it was heard on Thursday in my front room, is being released over you. And I trust Holy Spirit, because even now I've got a prophetic word for somebody who's not here, which I heard on Thursday when I was going through one of them. Fine. I've already released it. So whether I see them and whether I come and go, by the way, the Lord said to me on Thursday, it doesn't really matter. I don't need to understand. All I need to do is trust. But the only reason why I can trust is because since December 23rd, 2017, he's been calling me son. And I've been saying yes. He's been showing me different ways, different angles of how much he loves me. And every single time it blows my mind. He shows me a picture of the cross. He shows me this. He shows me that. Every single time it convicts me. Who is man that you are mindful of him? He's my favorite. He's my creation. He is, he is my everything. I'm obsessed with you, son. I remember that first time when, when I was there and he said, you know, have you noticed I never call you David? No. Have you noticed I never call you worshipper? I never call you any of the things that everyone else calls you on earth. The one thing I call you is son. Every single conversation I've ever had with him, even more so over the past five, six years, whatever it is now, I've noticed, son, what's he doing? He's affirming my relationship with him and my relationship to his love before we talk about anything else. Before he will show me the nations or what this song or all the songs we've written, whatever, it starts from the position of son. 
And so we can take in the glorified King, the glorified Jesus. Yes, he has nail prints in his hand, but his feet glow like burnished bronze. His voice is like the sound of many waters, but only love can hear that voice. And notice the reaction. <laughs> love fell at Christ's feet as if dead. And Christ says, do not fear. Why? Because perfect love cast out fear. So beloved, you now will behold. But the third thing is that which you become. Second Corinthians 3, 18, please. John, thank you, you're doing a great job. Second Corinthians three, eighteen. For those who are wondering, it is two forty-five. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> it says this, and all of us, us loved ones, all of us loved ones, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All of us, us loved ones, we continue to behold through the Word of God. And we see him for who he really is. And then the scripture says, I think it's in 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. Remember, this is post-resurrection. I believe it is the glorified Christ. As he is, so are we in this world. I'm going to take a slight detour and then come back to that. This word here, glory. I know I've said it before, but in case anyone is listening who hasn't heard me explain it. John 17, 22 is where Jesus begins, he's praying and he says, Father, the glory you've given me, I now give to them that they may be one, even as we are one. The glory you gave to me, I'm given to them. What was the glory that was given to him? John 1 explains it. John 1 says, And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. So whenever you saw Jesus, the glory that he walked in, was a, it indicated to you, he's the only begotten Son of the Father. Okay? Whenever you saw him, that was the glory that he walked in. Are we all okay with that? So that's the case. And then near the end of his life, he prays and says, that same glory I give to them, what is the glory that you are called to walk in? The, the same one. That same glory that he walked in. And that's key to us by the end of John 17, 22, when he says, that they may be one, even as we are one. So it was obvious for the first 17 chapters of John that whenever you looked at Jesus and beheld his glory, it was, he's the son of God. And then he says, I'm giving this to them so that the same thing happens to them. That when, they are, when you witness the glory that's on CCF, you say, that's one with God. 
glory and intimacy, glory and oneness are synonymous. So when it says, as he is, so are we, it is foolish for us to reduce ourselves to see ourselves any less than as he is now. It didn't say as he is, we will one day be. It says, as he is, so are we. So how is he? We just read it in Revelation. His feet glow like burnished bronze. His voice is like sound of many waters. As he is, so are we. Even now I can feel the old ideas in your head rebelling. You're like, ah, that's uncomfortable. I'm not allowed to say that. That's why it wasn't giving you to say, say it. It was in the book first. Because it is uncomfortable to think, as he is, so am I. And I can identify with one so glorious that he is so comfortable in himself that he says, come up higher, sit here with me. Watch as I make the nations subject to me. Watch as my goodness is established in the last days, so much so that they will fear me. Watch as the mountains of the earth run to me. Watch as the knowledge of my glory. When I say that word glory is synonymous with oneness. The knowledge of the intimacy of intimacy with God, the knowledge of oneness will spread and cover the earth like the waters. The last picture that love had of its saviour is his saviour glorified. So love has seen the crucifixion, seen the empty tomb, the resurrected Christ on the beach, and the last picture John had, the last picture that love had before his eyes closed was that of a glorified Christ. And I submit to you that the last and the final and the consistent picture you must have in your mind is of the glorified Christ, of whom it has been said, as he is, so are you. So that means as a church, we need to collectively come up higher. The invitation, if we are saying that, yes, we, we obsess about the love of God and you know, it has been preached to us, the love walk, and, and we have this, this heart for, for understanding and digging into the love of God. If we are to say that, the next words from Christ is come up higher. That's what he said to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, come up higher. There's more. You've only seen me in my resurrected form, but there is actually more for you to see. Come up higher. And before I give you a prophetic word, I'm going to show you who I am so that the, the prophetic word makes sense. Because Revelation 2, 3, 4, 5 only makes sense to one who has seen and heard the voice that sounds like many waters. As he is, so are we. I don't feel comfortable with that. Not sure you're on the right path there, Dave. Okay, here's another one. Arise and shine. What's the next line say? Whose light? For your light has come. And then what will happen? And the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon you. Arise and shine for your light has come the glorified Christ is saying to you it's good now that you're in the circle of love 
there is a light I'm prepared to give you. And what will be seen? The glory of the Lord. What did it say from John 17? That they may be one, even as we are one. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And evidence of intimacy shall be seen upon you. Evidence that you are one with God shall be seen upon you. Oneness with the Father, CCF, will be seen upon you. Only if at first you arise and shine. We can't be lazy. How do you arise and shine? The Bible says, it says, get up in the Amplified, Isaiah 61, it says, get up from the prostration which life circumstances have kept you in. Right? Love gives you the ability, despite everything, to get up and shine. Because your light has come. And when they see you, they will see that you are one with the Father. Beloved, behold, and then become. Become one who shines with the brightness of a thousand suns. That every time you walk into an environment, darkness has to flee. And every time you walk into, into work, any perverse ideas start to quake in their boots and don't even present themselves in that team meeting. Why? Because you're in the room. It says of Jesus that the, the demons were subject to his name. Everywhere he went, they knew who he was. They could call him out and be like, you know, have mercy on me. But we don't have the same results. I'm believing for the day when I pray for healing and there is healing. No misses. And there have been some over the years and they hurt. But every time I pray and it doesn't go to, you know, I don't have the result that I've prayed for, every single time, my issue is not to redefine my theology. My issue is now to get closer to the one who has the light of a thousand sons who never ever declared healing and it didn't come to pass. I say, how can I be more like you? Because you said in your word that they may be one even as we are one. So if oneness qualifies me to walk in 100% healing ministry, then show me where I need to become more like you. It's not the fault of the person I prayed for. It's not about any sin that was in their life, all that rubbish that we've heard over the years. No, let me be more like him. Let me be one. That's what I need to become. And we must be careful to understand what it is now we're spending the rest of eternity becoming. More like him. The beloved are to become more of who they really are. This is who we really are. The scripture was there before you were even arrived on the scene. The scripture said, to those that are given to me, to those who believe, they may be one even as we are one. Before you even showed up. So he had the confidence to know that this thing was going to work. To know it was possible to have a church community meeting in Clapham Junction who every single one of them on fire for Jesus because of their revelation of the love of God that they may be one even as Christ and the Father were one. I was listening to, um, I'm a massive basketball fan I was listening to Magic Johnson from, you know, the Lakers point guard, one of the all-time greats, speaking about when he got drafted to the Lakers. And he was hanging out with all these millionaires for the first time in his life. This guy grew up poor, didn't have much, 
I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, I think. So he speaks about being invited into these, these meetings. And he began to realize that when you don't come from money, you don't know how to speak its language. So he had to learn the language of money because he'd never come from it. But now, if you ever hear an interview of him, he speaks as one with money. But it wasn't always this way. Why do I share that? Now that we've been translated into the kingdom of light, now that we have been exposed to the revelation of the love of God, it is time for us to speak as one who is of love. No longer can you speak as one who is, is broken. No longer can you speak as one who is destitute. No longer can you speak as one who is an orphan. It is time for you to change the language of your words. Change the language you use because your life will go no higher than the words you speak over it. Ah, oh, idiot. How many times have you heard people say that? Right? I've had to learn the same thing. Denise always says it, she's like, your tongue is powerful, you know. <laughs> There'll be times where I say things. It happened the other day with work. I wasn't feeling well, and I was like, you know what, I could really do with a day off. There was a power cut at seven o'clock in the morning, we had a day off. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Some of you know, this is, well, actually, I'm going through a health situation at the moment, okay? So since last year, I've had these undiagnosed pains. I still don't know what it is. Um, excruciating pain at times. I'm on medication. Sometimes, yesterday, case in point, I could have more drugs in my body than a pharmacy when the pain gets too much, especially when you take the painkillers and then the pain gets worse. And you're like, okay. Time and time again, Pain, pain, pain. Most days of the week I'm in pain. Okay? Or there's some element of pain at some point. Yeah, I had a really beautiful moment and I had the privilege of sharing with some of my friends from America this week, <clears throat> one of my musician friends. I was saying to him, I was like, he was like, oh, dude, how's, how's it going? How are you finding it? How are you walking this thing out? Because we were praying for you back in August and it's now February and it's still, if anything, it's got worse in some respects. How are you walking this out? And I said, I had a beautiful moment with Christ. I think it was October and November. I was sitting in my living room and I was praying. And I'd been in a lot of pain. And I remember I just had this moment where I said, Father, I do not doubt your intentions towards me. And for the first time in a long time, I realized there's no doubt. I do not doubt your intention towards me because you're good and I'm loved. Cool. Every single time that thing flares up, I do not doubt your intention towards me. But David, shouldn't you be healed by now? Didn't, didn't so-and-so pray with you? Didn't so-and-so have a word for you? Didn't so-and-so have... Yes, all of that is true. Has it lifted? Not yet. Yet. But even during this fight, I do not doubt his intentions towards me. Amen. But I only am able to say that now 
Because in 2017, he started a journey of proving to me every single day how much he loved me. Took 50 weeks till I had my own jubilee. And finally in that freedom, I went, I remember leaving pastor's house and I was like, I am loved. Oh my gosh, I am. And I'm walking down to, what's it, Oval Station? And I'm just like, I am loved. And I'm just, beyond words, just encountering the love of God on the street as I'm walking. And then I, and then, and then I remember I had this moment where I was like, Lord, I really want to keep this till at least tomorrow. Because it feels so good. And I was like, how am I going to do that? Because I've got to get on the train. I've got to see this. I've got to talk to this person. I've got to go home. I've got to sleep. I've got to wake up. I've got to eat. And how can I keep hold of this moment? And I walked into Oval Station. And, and, and there was a poster that said, don't worry about tomorrow. Take care of today. <laughs> and I was like, for real? Okay. So then that was dealt with. So now I'm walking down on the train. And I'm literally like, oh, my gosh, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. Like a kid in a candy store. Loved by God. Dahavid, the beloved. What happened? I'd received the love of God. So now I saw him clearly. And then I became a new man. I became a son. I became a son. With everything I've gone through since then, even through the pandemic, even having COVID and whatever, you know what the Lord, and I'll share this, I'll be vulnerable. I was praying one time, I said, Lord, why is this thing, this is recently, I said, why is this thing still here? What is it? I remember I had this real dark moment one Tuesday night, real dark, just a lot of stuff came up. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sick and tired of not being able to trust my body. Okay? And what the Lord showed me through that was that because I'd been playing sport for most of my life, to a decent level, throughout school, football, basketball, rugby, hockey, cricket, played most of the year round. Then got into my 20s, wasn't necessarily playing regularly, but if someone called me, do you want to play football? Bang, go out, play, jump up, go, 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 go. Then doing gigs, going to work. I go do a gig, get back at whatever time o'clock, coming to church the next day, come down from Birmingham, do this, do this. And my body was fine. I, could all, I knew I could push my body more than most people. So you know what that developed? Pride. Pride. So I was more confident in my own body and its physical capacity to keep going than I was in trusting him. Yeah, but Dave, like you work out, you do this, so of course that's the natural reaction. I know for anyone who's not a son of God. But I believed, for, since 2011, I'd been praying for healing for everyone else, but never prayed for divine health for myself. What is health? Health is a constant state of equilibrium. Not just when things go wrong. That's when we ask God for healing. But I hadn't relied on God for my health because I put my faith in how much I was going to the gym, when, you know, football, all these other things. So if there was one purpose from everything I've gone through over the past six months, it's to finally, he got my attention and finally said, right, do you now trust me with your health? Whether you go to the gym or not, whether you do this, whether you do that, 
you're healthy because I sustain you. Come on. I keep you going. I keep you alive. And trust me, <laughs> when you've had some of the pains that I've had, you realise he is keeping me alive. Even this morning when I walked in, as soon as I walked in, I felt it and I was like, oh, not again. And it starts right here and it starts to come. I said, Father, I have no doubt as to your intentions towards me because I'm a son of God. And even if I'm in excruciating pain up on, at the pulpit, I won't feel no shame. I won't feel no nothing because I've got a job to do. <clears throat> and I'm going to walk in your power. I'm going to walk in your love. I'm going to walk in your grace. I'm going to walk in your mercy. I'm going to obsess about the things you are doing for me as opposed to the thing that you haven't done yet for me. And it doesn't actually matter yet because I'm going to, I'll say it one more time. I'm going to obsess about the things you're doing for me, not the thing you haven't done yet. It's not important. It, and I, I say this with all Jews, and I love everyone that's prayed for me. I appreciate it. Please keep praying because it is your prayers that are keeping me going. But at the end of the day, and this is what I said to my friend, I said, the greatest thing about this whole experience is that I have him. So to pastor, I said, if I go through this, if I have to live with this for the rest of my life, but I have him, oh, it was worth it. Because if you know what it means to have him, I can only imagine if I didn't. Oh, if we can sometimes just turn around and just pray, when this thing starts hitting my head, I don't know what, I don't know how to cope. It's given me an opportunity to speak to people at work about the healing power of Jesus, even whilst I'm waiting for my own healing. Why do you still believe? Because he's him and he loves me. Yeah, but we've just had to send you home. I know, but he's him and he loves me. There is a higher place of intimacy and that's why that scripture it says we are changed from glory to glory from one level of intimacy to the next level of intimacy from one place of oneness to another place of oneness six seven months ago if you'd asked me about my revelation of the love of God when it comes to healing I would have given you an answer now having gone through what I'm going through my answer is different I have been changed, people, from one level of glory to the next. So yeah, it's, it hurts. <laughs> it's painful. But I've gone from one level of oneness to a deeper level of oneness. I've gone from what I knew of him, which was great and it was incredible, to something even sweeter. I've learned to walk with him through suffering. It was told me, someone, someone said to me at David's stand, they were like, someone who <coughs> they themselves have a chronic illness. I said, how do you do it? How do you get up and worship in front of millions every year? And she said to me, she said, <laughs> she said, Dave, one thing I've learned is the beauty of walking with him in suffering. She said, if that's what you're about to learn, she said, wow. And when I spoke to her people the other day, they checked in, how are you doing? I said, tell, tell her that she was right. There is something beautiful about when you have nothing, when your body says to you, you cannot do this, you know. You cannot get out of bed tomorrow morning if you feel like this. And you say, all right, Jesus, come on, let's go. When you're in excruciating pain, and <clears throat> I had to call my mum one night, 
I said, Mum, just pray. She prayed down the phone. And then when she told me to go play the piano. So Dave, can you go play? Okay. So I managed, I think I don't know how long that phone call was, or the whole hour and a half. It took an hour and a half to get me from stricken in my bed to sitting up playing the piano. But I have him. Oh, I have him. Oh, I've seen him move. I've seen the one whose voice can quell a thousand waters. Man, if you were to look into his face, beloved, the face that shines with the brightness of a thousand suns, the one to whom all nations will one day bow and proclaim him to be king, I've seen him. Oh, and he, that same one, the same one to whom all authority and power has been given, the same one to whom every demon quakes when he approaches, the same one who threw mud pies in the ocean and called them islands, that very same one who by the very breath he utters can create something out of nothing, the one who was there at the beginning, the middle and the end and has orchestrated the whole thing in his own wisdom and figured out how every single story that's ever been told will resolve in one great worship service in which every single person from every tribe, every tongue, every creed, every race turns around and says, you are the Lord. That same one, I've seen him. But the only way I was able to see him is when I realised he loved me. And love pushed me past the horror of the crucifixion. It helped me see the empty tomb. It helped me see my resurrected king cooking up a storm on the beach. And then it moved me higher to see the glorified one. And that's the one I will stay looking at for the rest of eternity. And I don't mind because every time I look at him, I see, I hear a new song. Every time I look at him, I see a new aspect to him. And I'm able to say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm able to see him in a new way, able to experience him in a new way, able to receive from him in a new way. And there is a song that is being released from this church community right this very second, which is rooted in the revelation of the glorified Christ in our midst. So keep looking, keep loving, keep looking, keep becoming. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Son of God, be glorified. I remember there was a point, I think it was two years ago, my, my prayer started to change. And I began to say, I, I couldn't get away from this phrase, Son of God, be glorified. It was from Hebrews 1, you know, it talks about um, in different ways, different, you know, God has spoken, but now he speaks through one. He is the very representation of the glory of God. If you see him, you've seen the Father, oneness again. And I remember my prayer just began to change. Son of God, be glorified. Oh, Son of God, be, Jesus, be glorified. The one who was crucified is now glorified. And that phrase began to take hold of me. And it still has, even to this day, it hasn't changed for about two years. My one consistent prayer, Son of God, be glorified. So when we're experiencing these moments of glory that have been hitting us as a church, it is because the glorified Christ wants to enter and reveal himself to his beloved. So the question is, again, 
just like we said back November 27th do we say yes do we say yes Father we give you praise we thank you for the reality of what it means to be loved by you and how you can use that to transform us beyond our human capacity. That we can be anointed to speak like you, to move like you. To not be one moment behind you as you move across the earth. Father, we are no longer limited by size, by time, by distance. This church community, Father, is bigger on the outside and bigger on the inside than ever before because your love is here. And your love can transform 50 individuals into world changers. So, Father, just as you used the one whom Jesus loved, just as you used your disciple, we identify ourselves as the disciples whom Jesus loves. And we submit ourselves to this journey of revelation that we may see you once crucified resurrected and now glorified and in seeing that we ourselves are chained from one level of glory to the next from one level of intimacy to the next bless you Jesus we thank you for every single prophetic word that has been uttered over this church those of late, those from 30 years ago, those that we're still waiting for them to come to pass. Lord, we thank you that not one word will fall to the ground. Not one word will fall to the ground. And we will see the fullness of the manifestation of your promises, Lord Jesus. Father, just as in the same way you did in Revelation, just lay your hand on our shoulder and tell us to not be afraid tell us to not be afraid help us to not be afraid to not fear what's coming next to not fear the discomfort that we may experience not fear the ridicule we may experience to not fear the cameras when they arrive, to not fear the reporters when they arrive, to not fear the broken when they arrive, to not fear the prostitutes when they arrive, to not fear the tough conversations we're going to have around sexuality and gender and whatever. We don't fear them, Father, because we have your love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So we receive your love afresh. We receive your love afresh. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are we ready for the evidence of intimacy to be seen upon us? 
Are we ready to identify ourselves with the glory of God? And when they look at us, they say, there are Nebuchadnezzars waiting for us. And Nebuchadnezzar's waiting for us. And I say that in the sense that they will challenge us, they will test us, and then they will come to the realisation the God of CCF is the one true God. And they will boldly proclaim, proclaim that across the nation. We have been strate strategically placed at this moment at the crossroads to the nation where we worship every single week is the intersection from which you can get anywhere. So in the same way all things come through Clapham, <clears throat> how about we release something that can touch the four corners of this nation, from Newcastle to Penzance, right? It's gonna be fun, guys. The love of God is nothing to be feared. It's nothing to be feared. Blessed be your name. Amen. Amen. I think I'm done. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 